Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. Thanks for that. Well, they took up all my time for announcements, so I'm going to call Krista up, and we're going to close in. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. What a great time, though, for, right? There's a lot of stuff going on, but it's the church, and Easter's coming up, and the church is founded around Easter, so what a great time to be be busy and to be active, Um, so... Um, but yeah, like that, Easter is what, still two weeks away, it's coming up. Is it late this year? Is it normally? Yeah. I, f- I feel like Easter is like um, Goldilocks, where sometimes it's like too early, and sometimes it's too late, but sometimes it's just right. So this year it's like that. The bed is too hard. It's a little bit late, maybe, so I don't know why, but. But because Easter's coming up, if you've been around, we've been in our Easter series. It's called The Final Countdown, Remembering Jesus' Last Days. I was going to sing, but I'm not going to sing it. Final Countdown, His Last Days, His Last Week Here on Earth. Last week, uh, Pastor Clint talked about um, the woman who anointed Jesus by, by pouring um, perfume, bottle of perfume, all over Jesus as she knew what was coming um, with his death, getting him ready for, for his death. And he had two points with it, and is that Jesus is worth our extravagant worship. She poured this, this bottle of perfume on him as a sign of worship, and it was an expensive, expensive bottle. They said um, about a year's worth of wages, which I don't know about you, I'm not going to spend a year's worth of my wages on Calvin Klein, the right, um, I was going to say deodorant, but perfume to just to pour on somebody's head. Um, and when we do that, the next point was Jesus will be our defender, right? People saying, oh, you're nuts, you're nuts, but she said no, and Jesus said no, she's not, she's doing a beautiful thing. So um, if you haven't heard that message, you can go on the website, which is lighthousevineyard.church, and listen to that. I'd encourage you to listen to that, and go back and listen to the whole series if you have time. But this week, um, we are going to talk about when Jesus got mad, and he, um, he didn't do it too often, but I'm going to give you some background. So in the last week, Jesus enters Jerusalem. And let me, there's going to be a slide that comes up that has the city of Jerusalem. That city, um, about 60,000 people lived in that city. Uh, that's an, esti- an estimate I've heard. I've seen somewhere up to about 100,000 as well, about four to 500 acres. So really the size of Elkhart in about the, the population of Elkhart, in about a third of the area. So that's Jerusalem. Um, over here, you could see, I would have a pointer, but um, kind of like on the, would be the southwest side is Herod's fortress. You can see it there. That's where King Herod lived. Um, this is also in the city, um, kind of in the southern, where it says Upper City Zion, kind of just a little bit to the right of there. That's where the Last Supper, they think the Last Supper happened, which Pastor Clint will talk about next week, I believe, is, is that topic. So come and see that. Um, but we're going to focus on, so it would be like the north, 
east corner there, it says the temple. It says Herod's temple. It's kind of a big block up there. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, the temple... It was a temple. It was a place of worship. It was actually established in the Old Testament with Moses. God spoke to Moses on how to build. They called it a tabernacle and the, and the dimensions for the first tabernacle um, and what to do. But it was designed as a place for worship. And it was more than just a church building like we think of it today. There's another image that comes up. This is the temple. And you can see it's this big, elaborate, ornate with lots of space. There are different courtyards, so you'd come in and there the big areas, you know, there's courtyards there. You can kind of go through the other door into some smaller courtyards and you can see the tall building. Um, but essentially the temple was designed that the more you moved into the tall building part, the more holy it got. The more holy it got. And so the outer temples, it was still part of church. It was a place of worship. That was for like the Gentiles. They'd come in, worship there. Um, but, but you move in and, and it became more holy. I think of like today's church would be similar. Like the atrium would be the temple courts, right? Out in there, you come in, you get closer in, you come into this auditorium, maybe a little holier. Then you come up, you know, the altar, what we would call the altar up here would be a holier place. So if you have that image, um, ours is on a, on a smaller scale. Uh, but this temple, it was a religious place, a place of worship. And so what were the people doing at the temple. This happened during Passover this week when Jesus came to town. It was Passover. And Passover was basically a celebration um, for, to God for um, God releasing the Israelites out of Egypt. They were slaves and he released them out. And so they, there was a, um, you can read about Passover. I don't want to get too detailed about Passover, but they passed there, they put blood on the door, and they passed them over, so they saved them. They released them out of Egypt. This is a religious holiday celebrating that. During this time in Jerusalem, because people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, lots of people would come. Uh, I've seen estimates from 250,000 people in and around Jerusalem all the way up to even a million people. When you do the, the research, it varies there. But basically, a lot of people are coming to town, basically, to, to celebrate this holiday. And so Jesus comes in, and it says one of the first things that he did after he entered Jerusalem, he came in um, as the king of the Jews, and he came in, and the Messiah, and he goes and visits the temple. And so the place is packed. But what are they doing there? And what's Jesus' reaction? So when you get there, all these people are in there, and, and they're in the, the courts, and if you remember the picture, in the courtyards there, and they're, they're selling things. They're selling religious things, um, but they're selling cattle, cows. They're selling goats, and they're, and they're, and they're selling these things so the people that would come could sacrifice them as worship to God. Does that make sense? So they didn't want to have to drive their cattle all the way across the desert to get there. It was more convenient, a better way to go. Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to buy my, I'll say sheep there. I'll buy my sheep and then I'll, I'll sacrifice it to Jesus. So these people are selling these things. And Jesus has a reaction to this. And the reason that he has a reaction is because they're selling these things for, for lots and lots of money. 
basically they're selling these things to take advantage of that situation. They know that people are going to come. They know people are going to have to buy these things. And so they're just jacking up the price. It reminds me of um, like a baseball game. If you go to a major league baseball game, you go there, you buy tickets and the things there, whether you get food or drink or souvenirs, it's really expensive, isn't it? You go to basically really, it's similar to that where they're just taking advantage and charging way more than what they have to for this. And so we're going to focus today. Jesus, I said, again, has a, a reaction to this. And we're going to look at his reaction and what that means for us. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. This story takes place in all the, they call them the uh, synoptic, synoptic gospels. There's three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that basically tell the same story. This happens in all three of those. This story also happens in John. There's a little bit of um, debate in John, uh, whether it's the same story the same time or if that if it happened again because it happens real early in the book of john so they're saying well maybe he he did this um twice so but basically it's the same story and it, and um we're going to use mark i chose mark just because it's uh, a little more detailed so mark chapter 11 verses 15 through 17 so let me start in 15 mark 11.15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of all those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. So let me stop there. Because sometimes, I think even when I read it, and I've read this scripture many times, and I don't know if I do it justice when I read it, because it can be confusing, right? It says that, that he was clearing out temples, and he was, he was, right? It says flipping tables. I wish I could do that more justice. Because we're talking about Jesus... A person who doesn't get angry very often only happens a couple times in the Bible. He gets angry at Pharisees in the book of Matthew as well, calls them uh, hypocrites. But other than that, this is the only time he gets angry. And I don't, I just read through that scripture and I don't think we understand. Like this is Jesus flipping tables. Jesus, Jesus the, the caring person that we see and he's a lot of times depicted as this kind of passive, soft-spoken Guy, And I think that's true a lot. If we think about the compassion that Jesus has in Scripture, he is this guy. But he's angry. He's flipping tables. And we're not talking about the tables that you and I think of, like, when we serve the lunches back there, the little, like, plastic or, you know. The, we're talking about tables that are made of wood or even stone. And he comes in and there's, there's all this stuff. And it says the money changers so they're selling things, so there's these coins of money on the table, and he just flips it, and I can't imagine the, the chaos that's in there. In the scripture in John, it actually says that Jesus crafted a whip. He crafted a whip to clear everybody out. If we imagine if somebody walks through that door right now to clear this place out with a whip, that's going to be very chaotic, and you're like, whoa, what is going on, Right? 
And so, so again, I've read this many times and I just say, I, I read it just like I read it to you and it says, uh, the timber courts, he overturned tables of the money changers. But it's more like he overturned the tables of the money changers. This is passive Jesus flipping things. He's mad. He's angry. He's angry. And we're going to find out why he's angry. We're going to look at why he's angry and what that means to us today. Because he has, he has a... a teaching with that. If we read it, verse 17, right, it says, and as he taught them, as he's flipping these things off and he's getting rid of them, he's, I don't know if he didn't say he whipped people, but I can see him like, get out of here. So he's get them out. What does he say? He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. And so we're going to focus on that teaching from Jesus. We're going to focus on it being a house of prayer and not a den of robbers and what that means. I've got a couple points to take down, but let me, oh, let me the, the title of the message is Jesus Uncorked, right? Jesus Uncorked, learning from Jesus' emotional outburst. And again, I think it's such an important scripture because it happens only a few times in the Bible where Jesus comes uncorked when he has an emotional outburst. So let's learn from, from that today. But first, let me pray. So God, we just, we thank you. We thank you for this scripture, this story. Well, sometimes it can be confusing to us, God, and um, give us a different image of, of your son, Jesus. Um, but there's a reason that it was like this. And so we just ask that you teach us today. God, I pray that, that you teach us, use me to, to teach the anger of Jesus so, so that we don't have to experience it ourselves. It happened once, and, and so we can learn from that, God. So I just, I just ask that you bless this message, bless what you have to say uh, to the people in this room. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So there are really two observations that, that, that I, I took out of this. The first one is this, that Jesus gets angry at ingenuine religious acts. And I don't think the word ingenuine is actually a word, but I didn't want to say not genuine, so. Jesus gets angry at ingenuine religious acts. In verse 17, the very end, it says, as he taught them, is it not written? My house will be um, called a house of prayer for all nations. We'll get there. But it says this, but you have made it a den of robbers, a den of robbers. And we kind of talked a little bit already about why it was a den of robbers, because these people are, are selling, I'll call it merchandise and livestock Right? And they're robbing the people that are coming in. What they're actually doing, what the people selling are doing is a religious act. They're, they're selling things that are going to be used for religious acts, for sacrifice to God. But what they're doing, the ingenuine part comes with jacking up the price. And that's when Jesus says, you're making this a den of robbers. Because see, it's way easier to come 
we've all gone on vacation, right? And say, oh, we're going to go this summer and we're like, we'll just get our groceries when we get out there because we don't want to, you know, haul them in the car the whole way. So it's the same thing. We'll just get our cattle. We'll get our lambs when we're, when we're there. But when we get there, then they just, they jack them up. They, they take advantage of it. So, so what they're doing is a religious act. It just becomes ingenuine because they're, they're jacking up the price. They're taking advantage of the people that are coming in to worship God. And Jesus says, as it's written, right? He says, as it's written, um, you've made this a den of robber. That is a scripture that it points back to Old Testament in Jeremiah. It's 9 through 11, 7, 9 through 11. It says this, it helps to read the scripture because it helps to define what it means by den of robbers. It says, will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? It says, but I have been watching, declares the Lord. And so that helps to define these. It's saying, you go out and you do these things, and you do these things, then you come here. Right? And rob these people, and are you okay with that because it's in the temple? It's in the temple, and you go and do it, but then, oh, I'm safe in here. And Jesus is warning, this is God speaking, is warning against that. Because, again, what they're doing is, is a religious act, it's just ingenuine, it's misguided. Jesus could tell that right when he walked into the, into the temple. When he gets angry, you ever been to, to, to a place or something and, and you get there and you're just like immediately like your blood boils like, oh, he could sense that right when he walks in saying, what is going on here? What is going on? And his blood boils and he gets angry. It's important. We need to do religious acts, but we need to do them genuinely. What does that look like today? Because we don't need to, to bring cattle and, and sacrifice those today because we have the lamb that already did that in Jesus. Okay, but what does it mean? So, so I started thinking about some of these things of, of what are some religious acts that we might do that may not be genuine? And I thought about some of these, um, buying a Bible, but just keeping it on your shelf and never opening it up, putting it out there just for show. It might be me a little bit. We have a bookshelf in our house, and I probably have 10 or 12 Bibles on it, um, different um, translations of them, but I read this one. I read one of them. You know what I mean? So, so it's get these Bibles. That's a religious act. Oh, look, I bought the Bibles. They're on the shelf getting dust on them. Um, I don't reference them that often, only when I do messages. So that's something we could do. We could give. Right, we give financially, but maybe we just do that because the person next to me gave, right? Or we don't do it out of, I want to give out of my heart. Um, part of the reason that we don't pass a plate here at Lighthouse is because of that. We don't want people to give out of, you know, passing the plate down like, oh, that person's going to think differently. That person is going to think differently of me if I don't put money in this as opposed to just giving out of the want to give. So that's why we don't pass a plate. We, we um, set it up, I say we, Clint has set it up to 
where you go out of your way to give because it's genuine. It's genuine. It's not because my neighbor's going to think, oh, that guy didn't put anything in the offering plate. I see people that wear cross necklaces, but they wear them sometimes just for show. Like, look at my cross necklace. Or the little fish decal that's on your car. Then you get road rage, right? (laughs) It's those things like that that we see. Again, don't want to downplay the fact that they are religious acts. It's okay to do those things. It's okay to buy. You should buy a Bible, right? You should give. You can wear, I don't wear a cross necklace. I say you should get wear a cross necklace. I don't know if I would wear a cross necklace, but you can wear a cross necklace. Put a fish decal on your car, but make them genuine. Make them genuine. Here's a couple more. Worship. When you come to church and you worship and you're singing, right? I fall into this where I'm singing praise, but my mind is elsewhere. I'm singing. The words are even coming out, but my mind and my heart are not focused on Jesus. Or prayer. We come to, to church every week and never respond to prayer requests. I fell into this a little bit too. For those of you who don't know, I used to be on staff um, at our previous church up until about a year ago. And, and I would do that. I would be like, oh, I work at the church, so I don't need to respond to these prayer, these ministry calls and these, these times. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm on staff. And so I kind of got in the habit of stop, stop responding to those. Like, are you kidding me? Like, if God prompts you, then go. Go up there, get some prayer. I thought of what I call church jumpers. Where you come to church, it's an important religious act for you to come to church. But then you don't like what the pastor says. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't agree with that. I'm going to find another church. When, when all actuality, it might be God convicting you in this. I had one of these um, at, our, at our old church. I remember there was a message and um, the pastor was talking about serving and he, he basically, almost word for word, said, if you are just going to come and take up a seat, then go sit somewhere else. Basically, if you're going to come and not serve. Th- and at first I'm like, oh, it ruffled my feathers a little bit. But the more I, I sat, I thought about it. it wasn't, that wasn't, that was God speaking to me. I thought that message was geared right. I thought the, the pastor was going to point right at me and say, you, you're not serving. Get out of that seat but it was God convicting me. God convicting me. That will happen. So the encouragement is not to stop doing the religious acts. It's to do them genuinely. If God prompts you in ministry time, man, respond to that. Respond to that. That's him telling you, I want to intervene in your life. Don't get me wrong, it's not going to happen every time. When Pastor Clint calls a ministry time, the entire church isn't going to come up every week. I get that. But, but if he's prompting you, man, respond to that. Be genuine. Because Jesus wants us to be genuine. A couple other times in Scripture, and I'll just kind of paraphrase them. We look at the Scripture. Um, Jesus will rebuke Pharisees, but then he'll go and eat with a repentant tax collector. And in those days, tax collectors were kind of the sinners. So he would go eat with them. There's another, another story where um, 
Jesus rebukes a hypocritical leader and he essentially pardons a repentant, adulterous woman. He tells us, like, they're going to say, look, she's, she's, she's an adulteress, she's an adulteress. And Jesus says, any one of you that's not sinned, throw the first stone. And so everybody else walks away, and, and then she gets up, and he says, go and sin no more, he tells this woman. So, so he wants to help those people. Write this down. You can, you can write this down if you want. Jesus doesn't want our acts of obligation He wants our acts of obedience. The obligation part would be those religious acts, just doing them because you're supposed to do them, just doing them for show. He doesn't want that. Jesus doesn't want that. He wants our obedience to him. He wants it to be genuine for him. And again, this story, that's a really big deal. Jesus getting mad and wanting our obedience is a really big deal because, again, he doesn't get mad at the non-Christians in the temple. They weren't Christians at the time, but the non-religious people. He gets mad at the religious people for what they're doing. So point one, again, was Jesus gets angry at ingenuine religious acts. And again, don't, don't blame me because that's not a real word, ingenuine. You know what it means. So Jesus gets mad, but we can also make Jesus happy. And that's point two. Jesus is happy with genuine relationships. Genuine relationships. In verse 17, it says, and he taught them and he said, is it not written, right? We, we talked about the last part, but how about this part? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The key word there is prayer, a house of prayer. This would be the house, the temple. Go there and pray. What does that mean? Well, we just look at the definition of pray or prayer, right? It's a spiritual communion with God as in supplication, thanksgiving, adoration, or confession. But that first part, a spiritual communion with God. Well, communion, right? Root word, communion, communication, talking with God, a conversation with God. That's what prayer is. So that's what this place, this house of prayer, a place to come and have conversation with God. And if we take it beyond just the conversation, have an encounter with God. That's what it's for. It's not for all these these ingenuine religious acts that we can do. It's a place to come and have an encounter and a conversation with God. When we do that, we find joy. Again, that scripture where it says this will be a house of prayer for all nations, that's in reference to Isaiah. Isaiah 56, um, 6 and 7. In the first part, in 6, he's talking about there's all these people, there's these genuine people. 
in there. It talks about those that um, love the Lord, that are his servants, uh, that bind themselves to the Lord. And then this is what he says to him in, in verse seven, uh, 56, 7. It says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And I think that first part where it says, give them joy in my house of prayer. So, so that's what God wants. God wants us to come to church and not do these religious acts. God wants us to come to church so we can have an encounter with him and then he will bring us joy. And he will bring us joy. That makes me happy. And we're not, he's not talking about right, joy. He's talking about, about spiritual joy with God. I thought of that song, and as I'm, you know, my message is in my head, I'm thinking about, and Clint brought up moving mountains. And I know we prayed for those people that, that you need a mountain move. There's an obstacle. God will do that. Man, that's joyous, isn't it? That's really joyous. That's what God can do. He wants you to come and, and, and have an encounter with him so he can bring you joy. Let's kind of bring it back out of the, the BC days, right? So what's important, right? Coming to church every week is an, is an important act that we can do. We can meet God, other pla- God, we can meet him in other places, but he wants us to come here, right? He says, this is be a house of prayer, so come and meet every week. Come every week and meet me here. We're more likely to, to feel the presence of God in a setting like this. I'm not saying we can't. I've had places where I've gone and, and gone, gone out and met God. But on a week-to-week basis, this is what it's here for. We go back and we talk about God spoke to Moses and said, build a tabernacle Right? He said, go build a church, a building, so I can come and be there. That's important. We can meet God other places, but it's important that we come, come to church and, and meet God because He wants to meet us here. Come and, and engage in worship. Man, we live in a world that's, that's pretty messy and we, we bring a lot of things and we go to work tomorrow and I had spring break. I had a couple days off last week, Thursday and Friday, but I kept thinking about work. And so I'm not naive enough to think that we will come with that stuff on our hearts and our minds. But when we can literally check it at the door and say, okay, I'm gonna give you, God, this time of worship, that is powerful. We can meet him. He will bring us joy. Keep going back to that. He will bring us joy. Genuinely reading your Bible, maybe not out of routine. That's been me for a while. Uh, I just, you know, read my Bible, got to read my Bible, and I wasn't getting anything out of it. I've had to shift that to where I can genuinely read it. 
And I'm not saying, there for a long time, when I, when I first started reading my Bible, I was a junior in high school, we were in the locker room and basketball, and there's some guys on the team that talked about reading the Bible, and so I went home and I opened up Genesis and I started reading it, first time ever, and I'm like, I was just reading it. This is awesome, like I've heard these stories, but it's putting scripture to it, and that, man, it was, it was cool. But it was just reading it. Well, now when I just read it, though, that doesn't do the same thing for me. So I've, I've, I've been... Um, working through, reading through the Old Testament, but then taking parts of the New Testament and meditating more on it and breaking it down more. I spent probably a week just on the Beatitudes and on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, But for me, that's the genuine part. Find what's genuine in reading your Bible and read it genuinely. Respond genuinely to prayer. If God convicts you, come up for prayer. He just wants us to be genuine because he will meet us. He will meet us here. I'm going to call Krista up for real this time. And we're going to close with this last worship song. It's called New Wine, I believe. New Wine. The chorus says, make me your vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. And so as we sing this, let's bring the new wine out of us. Change us. When we, when we do this, I, wanna, I want this to be a place where, where we can forget about everything and just be genuine. Worshiping, we do it every week. We do it at the beginning of, of service and we do one at the end because worshiping is a, an act It's a religious act. Let's make this genuine during this song. So we we did it last week a little bit. I want to open this up to when we sing this song. If you feel like you want to come up front, come up front. If you feel like you want to lay down in the aisles, lay down in the aisles. If you feel like you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. But more than anything, let's let this be a genuine act of worship to God. So why don't you stand? I'll pray. Krista will lead us in in, in this genuine act of worship and then Clint will come up and close. So God, I just, we thank you. We thank you for wanting to meet us in this place. When you said this will be a house of prayer for all nations, we thank you for that. We thank you for wanting to come and meet us here. So God, during this, this last song, as we, as we give you our genuine worship, I pray the old scripture where it talks about where the the cloud came down and it was so thick with your presence, God, that they they had to keep, they had to put guards at at the doors because your presence was so thick. So I pray that now, that when we give you this this genuine act, God, that you, that the cloud comes and your presence is thick here. And you meet each one of us individually during this song, God. 
Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.